Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Maggie Flynn. Before diving into my conversation with Martha Schramm from Aegis Therapies, I want to invite you to the Skilled Nursing News Summit in Chicago this coming June. More than 150 skilled nursing owners, operators, and industry professionals will gather for a morning of networking and industry discussion on regulatory changes, the M&A landscape, new innovations in skilled nursing operations, and our C-suite panel, featuring the industry's leading C-suite executives. Visit skillednursingnews.com forward slash events to buy your ticket. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. My guest is Martha Schramm president and CEO of Aegis Therapies, which provides therapy services in 550 skilled nursing and senior living facilities, with about 2,700 therapists and 2,000 aides. Therapy and rehab providers across the U.S. are facing a massive change to their business with a patient-driven payment model coming in October, and I wanted to talk to Martha about how the role of contract therapy is changing in skilled nursing. I'd also like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. Success isn't just getting to PDPM, It's about being ready for what comes next. Learn how you can prepare to go confidently into quality-based care with Point Click Care. Martha, thank you very much for making the time to speak with me for the Skilled Nursing News podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. So the big question on everyone's mind right now has been what the patient-driven payment model means in terms of rehab. Everyone knows the soundbite about how now rehab is going to be a cost center under this new payment model. And with that in mind, I wanted to kind of get a sense from you about how third-party rehab and SNFs has evolved over the years. And how did we get to the current landscape where it's now regarded as a cost center under this new model? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's very interesting. I mean, that is a, a actually a great question. And, you know, the evolution, if you take a look at how therapy has been reimbursed, right, which kind of drives the, is it a cost center or is it a revenue center, right? If you directly get revenue from from the services, it's, it's interesting because, you know, there was a time when it was what was called time and facility. So basically, the time the therapists were in the facility was how they were paid by the facility. And, you know, and I, I was practicing at that time. And you know, my observation was that at that time, you know, it, it's, um, it's sort of the, the expectation, the basic expectation that as a therapist, you're going to treat patients and that you will treat them effectively and, and the patient will get better and the patient will have a good experience. And, you know, now that is, that's in headlines, but you know, that that has always been or should have been a basic expectation. But back in the time and facility environment, certainly the direct patient care was primary and, and critical, but the clinicians, the therapy professionals, the rehab professionals were used in many other very effective ways in the facility. So you know, their degree of participation, for example, with functional maintenance programming and not just the quote unquote therapist part of it, but the overall development of the structure and the process and the oversight and the collaboration and all those things was very real. The participation 
Um, and again, you know, when I say participation, certainly today, the last 20 years in a PPS environment, as an example, you know, therapists, quote unquote, participate in things like wound care committees and fall prevention committees and those kinds of things. But participation and leadership and, you know, sort of those elevated levels occurred back in, in a, you know, a time and facility kind of environment. So it, it's interesting because part of what is unleashed, in my opinion, with these new models is bringing that back and allowing the expertise, competencies, perspectives of the rehab professional to be more engaged and have greater impact in the facility. And, you know, that kind of brings me back around to, you know, there's a lot of discussion, is therapy a cost center or a, a revenue center? Well, you know, it, people don't probably have that same conversation around nursing, right? Mm-hmm. And generating revenue, I think it depends on how you really want to define that. And I, in my definition, Generating revenue is the degree to which a facility is a magnet for referrals, right, for any number of reasons, but one of the reasons can be their specialty rehab or um, within rehab some special programming or the, just the skills and the, the structure of, of rehab can be a magnet for referrals. That certainly generates revenue if it's still in your beds incrementally. So, you know, and and then there's a lot of other details around PDPM where the expertise of the the rehab team is absolutely, and this gets back into the whole coding discussion, but absolutely is going to impact whether the reimbursement is X or Y. Um, So, uh, you know, I, I think I'm hearing that kind of conversation a little less. I think when I, when I think about, again, the evolution, as you asked, of third party rehab, and kind of put that in the context of this cost revenue discussion. I do think there's an absolute imperative and in every, whether you're in-house or third party, I believe has got to accept and execute on the challenge to deliver more efficient care. You know, we are either all part of the problem within the AAA or part of the solution. And I think that this new environment is an extraordinary opportunity for rehab to be a bigger part of the triple aim solution, better quality, better person experience, lower cost. So that's kind of how I see that piece. The other comment I would make on on the evolution of of third-party rehab, and really this is more rehab in the SNF, is, you know, over the years, the body of evidence um, around the efficacy of rehabilitative intervention for individuals who are in SNFs, whether those are short-term stay folks or or long-term stay, has really exploded over time. And I think that, you know, it is now a given, uh, very few would argue with the clinical complexity of these folks. And it's really become a rich environment for clinical practice, whereas, you know, 25 years ago, or maybe even more recently than that, SNF was not a real desirable place to practice, quite frankly. 
And, you know, that's, that's on all of us clinicians is to create great field experiences. And, you know, there's going to continue to be a shortage of therapists over time because the demographics just are not working in favor of it not being a supply-demand problem. So we really, you know, we want to attract the best into this, into this segment. Do you think that third-party therapy is doing a good job of sort of seizing that opportunity to delve into the clinical side? The clinical side of you talked about the um, the opportunity to really do clinical work in the sniff setting now with the patient complexities, and from your uh, viewpoint, do you think that third party therapy is in a you know is doing a good job of taking that opportunity, or is there still work that that they could be doing to really show that they have something to add in in such an environment? Well, I, I think they're well. No, that's a two-part question. I think, right, Maggie? Are they doing it, and is it an opportunity? Well, it, it, I think there is greater awareness that more needs to be done. This gets to clinical pathways. This gets to some predictive analytics. If a patient profile is looks like this, this is the general pathway with obviously some risk adjusters and some some leeway within it. But then being accountable for we're going to follow this pathway, we're going to be accountable for generally this outcome at, again, a, a predictable cost. I, I, we're definitely not there yet as a, you know, a, a third-party rehab segment, but I think it is also a strong statement for why third-party rehab can be very, very valuable to the provider because staying current, I mean, the evidence is, as I said, it's explosive and and, you know, keeping staff trained and measuring competencies and, you know, staying 100% current with the most recent advances, whether that's technology, whether those are, you know, manual skills of the therapist, whether that's knowledge, it's hard and it requires some infrastructure. You know, the professional associations are great and have, they're just an enormous resource in all these areas. But, you know, when it comes to things like training and competency testing, and, and it, it has always been important, but as we move into, which is good news, right, a value-based quality outcome environment on steroids, we need to accelerate. And so I guess I would answer the question is, on the way, not there yet, probably for most people. But I think it's very much top of top priority because that's where the value proposition comes in, right? When it, when it comes to value and, and quality and outcomes. When it comes to the value and the quality and the outcomes, how has, you mentioned the move to value-based care, how has third-party rehab going to be able to keep track of the value and the outcomes that it provides? And is there anything that needs to be different now that CMS has taken up the patient-driven payment model? Yeah, I think there. I think it's going to require a different conversation um, in, in, frankly, the contracting process because, you know, therapy, the delivery of therapy, is not enough. You know, provide the right number of therapists, deliver the needed care, that kind of thing. That kind of generality is is not going to be sufficient in the future and. The conversation, and it's going to be potentially a little different depending on which SNF provider you're talking to, but to be very clear about 
what are the expectations of contributions by the rehab professionals? And then what's the expected outcome? So if a particular program is going to be put into place and the expected outcome is positive influence on the quality measures, then contractually, I think third-party rehab providers are going to have to be, if you will, on the hook for those outcomes. Um, They need to be well-defined. They need to be in agreement on how they will be measured, how often, all those things. It's going to be much more granular in terms of what does a quality outcome look like? Now, obviously, some of the changes in what CMS is measuring and, you know, the quality measures that are, you know, that have been advanced sort of facilitates that conversation, of course. But it'll be at a very different level, which is, again, I think a good thing for all concerned, most importantly, the patient. So when it comes to dealing with that and, you know, diving into those outcomes, what are some of the metrics and what needs to um, what needs to be done in terms of a third party rehab really assessing outcomes and the value they provide for those outcomes? Well, I think again, it is being able to um, to align with some of the the publicly reported outcomes, perhaps discharged to the community. Um, the I think a real value proposition that third-party uh, rehab providers can deliver is, you know, there is still risk for a sniff post-discharge, right? And so if you're a third-party rehab provider and you're able to, quote-unquote, stay in touch with that patient over time and continue to positively influence their retention of their gains, for example, follow them as they transition to home health, for example, or outpatient becomes very powerful because recidivism is going to be increasingly a larger pain point for providers in the post-acute space. Uh, so I think there's a lot of new opportunity for third-party rehab providers to, to create value. When I also comes- think that... Sorry. No, I'm also going to say that I, you know, many third-party providers have accessed several databases and and have held themselves accountable to be better partners in identifying, well, first of all, in profiling a market and identifying the clinical needs in the market and then tailoring their clinical programs to the market need. You know, it's kind of the obvious. Where's the pain points and then try to, you know, address those. And that's where I think there's additional opportunity to bring that value in the new environment because that helps increase referrals into a facility potentially. And that is, of course, of high value to the provider. Yeah, and that's something I've heard that SNFs really need to be paying attention to is what are their market needs and, you know, how do they identify what the needs of a market are so that they make sure they have the right specialties and can say, look, this is a need and we can offer this. Exactly. And, you know, I I think there's been suboptimal rigor, for lack of a better term, 
in getting that work done. And and part of that is you have to have access to information. And that's that's another, you know, sort of advantage of a third-party rehab provider is that, you know, due to scale, um, they're able to have an infrastructure perhaps that is able to not only access the data, because data isn't really worth much unless you turn it into usable information, right? So it's all that analytics and then the translation is something that can be executed on successfully. And, you know, certainly we're finding that, that that's very meaningful. And it's not getting any easier, right? If you look at the occupancy levels, it's not getting any easier for people to attract folks into their facilities. Right. And setting up specialty programs is not an easy thing to do. You need to really know what the needs are before you can make that kind of investment. Absolutely. And, and it, it, it's a huge investment because you can't just say you've got it, right? Because we're living in a world of outcomes. So you're going to have to produce the results in a way that, that's never been, you know, as, um, as rigorous as, as it is now and is going to continue to be or will be even more so over time. I was curious about um, is, you know, with the fact that the patient-driven payment model is coming up, um, it's going to be implemented October 1st of this year, there's been a lot of conversations about third-party rehab, rehab in general, and rehab contracts. And one thing I wanted to ask you are in several SNFs, or rather I should say the companies in several SNFs, have you seen SNFs moving away from third-party rehab as they prepare for PDPM, or is it more of a mixed bag in terms of how people are reacting? Are they still trying to sort that out? I think they're still trying to sort it out. I mean, a very interesting component of the time we are in mm-hmm. is virtually every SNF provider is having to make a decision on rehab, right? Yeah. Um, so, and, and virtually every SNF provider is trying to figure out how to deliver rehab at a lower cost. So given that, I think it's all over the board. I mean, there are some that have been outsourcing for a period of time and and wondering, can I do this cheaper? But, you know, what we're finding is we, you know, are having some of those conversations, analyzing that it's a little tough. And there are more, I would observe that there are more providers that feel like this is this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be in a different contractual relationship and one that ideally holds some risk and gain share components and allows them to really have a more productive and advantageous contractual relationship with a third party. So, but it is all over the board. Like I said, everybody has to make a decision and there are various points in that decision-making process. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we'll see more of contracts like that between skilled nursing facilities and their um, third-party rehab and therapy providers where there is that element of risk and and gain sharing? Well, I hope so. You know, because getting back to the value proposition, you know, if you're going to be very clear on what the expectations are and you have a baseline and you exceed those expectations, you know, the strongest partnerships that I'm in is we win together, but you know what? If it goes the other direction, we both experience that as well. And it keeps, you know, there's the old cliche skin in the game. I, I think it's a pretty healthy way to work together. 
So I, I hope that's the case. Those are more complicated contracts to develop potentially. Because yeah. um, easy to say, and then when you get down to the nuts and bolts and you really figure out, well, how are we going to measure this? And, oh, is that something that therapy really has full control over? Or, you know, how do we figure out how much of that the facility was responsible for versus therapy? So there's, you know, it's, it's not easy, but I think it's, it's hard work worth doing because I think at the end of the day, it will result in better service and better outcomes. Would you say such contracts are prevalent now in terms of how widespread they are or, or not? For uh, risk and gain sharing? Yes. Oh, I think they're very rare. I think they're very rare. And, and partly, the, the, yeah, I guess it just suffices to say that, that I think there are very few of them. <laughs> it's definitely something that it sounds intriguing, but like you said, lots of work would have to go into it. And one thing I was curious about was um, in terms of the work that has to go into just preparation in terms of preparing for the patient-driven payment model, but also like you've touched on, there's a general move in the healthcare system to value-based care. What do third-party rehab providers really need to be looking at when they go and talk to their skilled nursing facility partners? And what do they need to be keeping track of as we deal with this move to value-based care? Does it change anything? Well, I think so. Again, very perceptive question. You know, PDPM is right now a Part A beneficiary model, right? But it is absolutely going to influence managed care, and it's absolutely going to influence ultimately Medicaid. And in, in, in so, and, and we also know you lay on top of that that the number of Medicare beneficiaries who are participating in managed Medicare is doing nothing but growing. So, as that relates to what is third-party rehab providers need to be thinking about, is what's the value in in those you know um, circumstances, i.e., Medicaid and, and managed Medicare. So, for example, is everything in place as it should be? to identify and in a timely way identify and address the functional needs of Medicaid beneficiaries, as an example. For managed Medicare, is, is there, is the data in the, and are the outcomes associated with caring for those patients from a rehab perspective put together in a way that can be easily, concisely, and effectively communicated with the provider to that payer, that managed Medicare payer, to garner perhaps a larger share of that managed Medicare payer's participants. So there's much that can be done to partner more effectively to positively influence, again, the revenue associated with those other payers or those other payers lots of moving parts to navigate. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, to understand, you know, I think it'll be really interesting as providers think through not just the rehab piece of all this, but just the the entirety of the implications of these changes. And, you know, who knows? Some of them will, maybe they, if if they only have one or two Medicare patients today, Maybe they're going to develop interesting networks in their markets and, and, and be the specialty 
long stay environment. I mean, it's just, it's hard to know, but I think there'll be, it, it's going to foster some new conversations and it's kind of in the old adage of, you know, competitors become collaborators. I think this is a prime opportunity for that to become more of a reality. That actually makes me think of something that I did want to ask uh, related to just potential pitfalls or maybe even things that people are overlooking. Like I said, one of the common talking points and sound bites has been assessing rehab and therapy as a cost center and rehab contracts are a very hot topic, the renegotiation of rehab contracts, right? But I'm curious from your perspective, what are some other parts of this shift to the patient-driven payment model and the overall move to value-based care that you think maybe skilled nursing facilities and third-party rehab are overlooking that that pose an opportunity or something they should really be paying attention to that just hasn't gotten the attention that it deserves? Again, a great question. And I think, you know, that is surfacing as everybody gets more and more kind of into the planning and strategizing for the future. A couple of things do come to mind. And one is, I think it is very dangerous to, more dangerous than ever, to see therapy as a commodity. You know, we we talked a little earlier on about skill sets and competencies are going to be critical because if you don't have standardized competencies, you'll never deliver outcomes efficiently. I mean, the the two, that's just not, that doesn't go together. And so, and I'm not sure it's a pitfall, but it's going to certainly be a challenge. Hiring the right clinicians into whatever the environment, again, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, some people are really going to, you know, pursue specialties. You, You can't hire somebody who doesn't have that competence and expect your strategy to work real well. So I, I do I do think about that and then keeping, you know, your finger on all these moving pieces. Right now, as people are still learning, I think it's easy to kind of get in the zone and, you know, and, and try to figure it out. But the um, downside of that is it leads sometimes to maybe some myopic thinking. And that's, I think, where your question of blind spots comes into. I think especially, and you, you haven't asked me about PDGM, but I'll go ahead and reference it. Oh, and, and that is, I think, especially in the home health sector, this whole notion of the skill sets and outcomes and if therapists, you know, is not, therapy is not a commodity, is, is probably a bigger blind spot potentially um, than in the SNFs. I think that's that's a pretty a pretty big one. And we've talked about, you know, sort of the the thinking of cost versus revenue. I, I think that, that that should be a more expansive um, conversation around well with the, the right therapy and and the right utilization of therapists to really raise the bar overall in your facility around uh, care and risk um, mitigation and all of that. I, I think those conversations need need to shift a little bit. And the blind spot could be that if, you, if that shift doesn't occur, you can miss 
some really major opportunities to, again, become a magnet in your market for referrals and admissions. I think, I think those are probably, and, and the other is probably a lot of things aren't changing. You know, when when a big change is coming, you tend to focus on the change. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the the rule, the conditions of participation, all these things that you know been the foundation of um, practice and, and regulation, most of that isn't changing. So taking the eye off that ball could be, um, you know, a knock along the side of the head that nobody would want. On that note, I think it's actually a good time for me to bring up what what I think is my last question here, which is related to just what you're hoping will come out of the changes to the way skilled nursing and and rehab interact with the new patient-driven payment model. Like in an ideal world, you know, after this model is implemented, uh, let's say, you know, in a couple of years, five years, 10 years, what would you like to see change about the way third-party rehab and skilled nursing facilities are interacting? I would like to see a true execution of collaborative care management within a facility. You know, we talk a lot about the care continuum in the post-acute space. And when people talk about that, generally, well, you know, you've got your SNP, you've got home health, you've got some outpatient. And, and I'd like to see a strong, vibrant, predictable care management and care continuum within a facility. And, and when I think about that as it in the context of rehabilitation, I see that continuum as skilled therapy, restorative, and activities. And all of those having a predictable, positive, accumulative effect on the patients that are in residents that are served. I think that's the ultimate power of this if, you know, as we unleash it, and, you know, you mentioned a couple of years, and I think it's going to take some time because, you know, previously mentioned, we've got therapists that haven't operated anything but a PPS environment, and likewise, I'm sure nurses and aides and lots of people. So we're this is going to require a big paradigm shift in addition to just kind of all the nuts and bolts of this. But, but that's the real, you know, the real pot of gold at the end of the, the rainbow, I think. And again, you know, bring us right back to where we started. When that happens, the patient experience and the value to the patient exponentially increases. And I think that ultimately is the most exciting part of all this change is, you know, when we, when we get it figured out, it's going to be very, very good. Awesome. Martha, thank you so much for making the time to speak with me about this. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I did too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing news industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.